Today we have Weiwei Zhang, who's a member of Grable Martin and Fulton, a law firm. Weiwei assists her clients to obtain patents, trademarks, and other intellectual property assets. She has worked for a Fortune 500 company as an engineer, and coupled with her 30 plus years of big law firm experience, Weiwei is uniquely situated to understand intellectual property challenges facing her clients and what marketers might want to consider for their brand assets. Weiwei is also an alum of SMU. Welcome Weiwei to Podwalk, a podcast that students listen to while taking a walk. It's always great having alumni back on campus. Thank you for having me. Weiwei, often intellectual property can be an afterthought for new companies. Either because it's simply not on their radar or they don't have enough know-how on how to file, or simply because they don't have resources. What can you tell us about what intellectual property includes? Intellectual property is really what we call an intangible asset. It's something that originates from the head, from your mind, unless you have put it down on paper or will it into being, it's intangible. Once it becomes tangible, for example, a piece of literature, um, a logo design, or a piece of art, or a piece of music, then they become something that's tangible. But there's still asset that can be transferred, you know, there's ownership rights with respect to intellectual property, and they can be transferred just like personal property as well. But there are special laws around um, intellectual property and we will touch on some of it today. Absolutely, we will. So trademarks are particularly important for marketers. And we often think of words and design and logos as trademarks. But can it be, let's say, a color? If I received a Robin's egg blue colored box, which, oh, by the way, I would love to get those boxes. Could that brand color be trademarked? What about scents? What about hashtags? Yes, all of these can be trademarks. Anything that can be used to identify the source of goods and services can be a trademark or service mark for services. The most common being a word or a phrase. Um, and then next uh, on the commonality scale is logo design. Um, or it could be a catchphrase. Trademarks can also be a packaging design. So you think of the Coca-Cola bottle, the glass bottle, the shape of it, what it looks like. And of course, like you mentioned, the Tiffany blue, uh, the Robin Eggs blue, that is definitely a trademark. Other examples are the Corning insulation pink and the UPS brown color. Um, Another prime, prime example, of course, is the Louboutin uh, red soles for shoes. That it is, yes. Uh, a scent, like you mentioned, can also be a trademark. I actually was able to obtain registration for a client for a tropical coconut scent for sandals. And scent marks are so uncommon that I was attending a trademark conference and the speaker from the USPTO actually used my client's registration as an example. So they're not very common, uh, but it is something that you can trademark. Emotion or gesture can also be a trademark. Uh, a recent example is the Salt Bay's 
uh, unique motion of the hand and the arm to throw uh, down salt. And that's, that is a trademark. Wow, did not know that. Um, of course, sound can be trademarked. You think of the NBC chimes, the Intel chimes, the Yahoo Yodel, and the MGM lion, the roar of the mm -hmm. lion. So those are all very familiar examples for sound marks. Right, absolutely. And hashtags? to get Definitely. Yeah. Hashtags and domain names can be uh, trademarks as well, right. as long as they are used to identify the source of the goods and services. These are all very cool and interesting examples because we often wonder about what can and cannot be trademarked in many of mm. these attributes, which are so specialized for different brands. So uh, I'm curious, when, when should a marketer begin filing for a trademark? So if, we, if a marketer hasn't started selling their product yet, can they or should they file for a trademark? It, my answer is always the sooner the better because it is actually, in essence, a race to the trademark office. So a, pat, or a trademark application can be based on existing use. In other words, you have already started using the trademark in interstate commerce. But it can also be based on what we call intent to use. As long as you have a bona fide intent to use a trademark in the future, um, you can try to lock it down now by filing a trademark application. Don't wait, because if somebody beats you to it, um, then your second fiddle and your trademark application may not be uh, approved. Gotcha. So um, definitely get, to, get with a trademark attorney who has experience in trademarks, do the search, and see if it's clear that there's no other, other conflicts out there and because it, it is not only important to find that you can start, you can have uh, use a particular trademark for your business, but you don't want to inadvertently infringe someone else's trademark. If that happens, you'll get a cease and desist letter, and then you have to start your branding all over again, and you may be liable, liable yeah, for, for damages. Sure. For sure. So the key message is don't wait. Don't wait. First in. Your attorney be the is first going to be your best friend, so get with your trademark, get with your attorney. trademark attorney. <laughs> so I'm curious, how long does it last once a trademark is filed? A trademark uh, registration can last indefinitely as long as you keep... Um, there are certain time periods where you have to s submit a statement of use to demonstrate that you're still using this trademark because a trademark um, would essentially be abandoned if you don't continue to use it. Um, there are some excusable um, discontinuity that's allowed, but for the most part, you have to continue to use a trademark to maintain its uh, alive, you know, to keep it alive. And uh, so federal registrations, you have to file additional um, renewal documents and renewal fee. But as long as you keep doing that, it, and you continue to use the trademark, it will last indefinitely. Um, now, if you don't have a federal registration, you have a common law trademark, that will also last indefinitely if you continue to use it um, in the trademark sense. So, Got it. So sometimes we see an R at the end of a brand name, for instance, um, with a circle around it. So that's a registered trademark. Why should we register the trademark? So federal registration 
is not absolutely required, but it gives the trademark owner a lot of advantages over um, the, the rights of this valuable asset. A federal trademark registration gives the owner nationwide territory that's not based on the actual use. So the, and the registration also gives the owner legal presumption that there is a valid trademark and that you can easily prove that you own this asset. Without that, it's much tougher to prevail in a court of law. And also a common law trademark, the territory is actually based on the actual use. So for example, if you, you only um, do business in, in Texas and maybe Oklahoma, that's your scope, of your territory. You cannot, your, your ownership rights do not extend beyond those borders or the actual towns and counties of where you are. Right, that makes sense. So let's, let's chat about patents. And let, let me ask you a fundamental question. What, what is a patent? A patent is essentially a government-sanctioned monopoly given to an inventor over his or her invention. So you are given a monopoly of 20 years, um, and the invention can be a thing, or it could be a process. So it could be a gadget or a device, a system, um, or it could be a way of um, doing something. Um, commonly, software algorithms can be patented as a method. I see. We have very, very, uh, many garage inventors in the classroom, and so we often suggest to our inventors to go ahead and file for a patent so that they can begin leveraging their idea with a patent-pending status. Is that a good idea? Is, is IP protection for first-to-file or first to invent. We are in a first-to-file game now. Uh, we used to be a first-to-invent, um, where we have to document the date that we came up with the idea, and inventors are encouraged to keep uh, notebooks. But now it is who gets to the patent office first, all right? And then most people don't realize that there are actually deadlines associated with when you must file a patent application or you have lost your right to obtain this monopoly that the government is willing to grant to you. So an inventive, con inventive concept will become public domain if you don't protect it. If you don't take steps to protect it, it will fall into the public domain. So what, what do you have to do? Uh, before you publicly disclose, publicly use, will offer the, the invention for sale, you should file a patent application. We say that because in most foreign countries, it is required that in order for them to grant you a monopoly, you have to file a patent application before you do any of those things, any kind of public disclosure, public use, or offer for sale. In the U.S., so that's why we want to file the application before any of those things happen. In the U.S., we do have a one-year grace period. In, in other words, if you tomorrow go to a conference and you demo your invention, you have one year to file that patent application. So we do have a little bit of leeway 
But if that happens, then you have given up your foreign patent rights, right? Because you didn't file the application before the public disclosure. So if we can plan it ahead of time, we always encourage the inventor, let's, we, we don't know whether you're gonna need your foreign patents or not. So in order to preserve all of your rights, let's get the patent application filed before you go out and talk to people about it. And if you, can't, if you are going to start talking to people about it, we always recommend that you have an NDA in place or a confidentiality mm -hmm. agreement in place so that it no longer is a public disclosure. Um, and that commonly happens when you want to start talking to investors. Yeah. And we get that question a lot because people, especially garage inventors, the small startups want to begin one getting feedback, but also mm -hmm. funding for the mm -hmm. idea. And uh, they're not at that point where they feel comfortable having an NDA, but as you're suggesting, an NDA is absolutely critical before mm -hmm. you go out there and start. There are, there are investors who are not willing to sign those. Mm -hmm. So that's when we recommend let's just get a patent application filed. Then you don't, you know, preferably we still want an NDA in place, but if they won't do it, right. and, and a lot of times we get pushback on that, let's just get a patent application filed. And, and that, that way you can demonstrate you had this concept on this date before you talk to anybody. Right. And even if that is the, provi the provisional Right, patent. even so if it's, it's a provisional application. Patent. Yes. Right. Um, so that would be a very good idea. Either a provisional patent application and or an NDA would safeguard your interests as you're out there in the market, marketing your brand, getting funding, all of that stuff. Wavy, could you expand a little bit more on what a provisional patent application entails? Sure. A provisional patent application is um, a patent application that the, the USPTO doesn't do a thing with. Um, you can think of it as a foot in the door. When you file a provisional patent application, you get a, an application number, you get a filing date, and you get the right to say patent pending. So what happens is when you file a provisional application, you have um, demonstrated to the USPTO that you have this inventive concept that you want to obtain a patent. But the USPTO just lets us sit there. You have to follow up within one year from the filing date to the provisional application. Um, you have to file a non-provisional patent application. I know these are terrible names, <laughs> but they, sound, they mean exactly what they sound like. Uh, provisional is not something that the USPTO does anything with. The non-provisional is the one that they actually will examine and give you feedback on. So um, the reason why we use uh, provisional applications um, a lot of times is when there's not enough time to properly prepare a non-provisional application. Say, for example, you come to me and you're going to a conference and you're presenting a paper on your invention and we don't have the, enough time to properly prepare a non-provisional application. So we basically put together a provisional and file that. Uh, and sometimes uh, another situation that we use provisional application is when the inventor has a very broad concept that they want to protect. 
but a lot of the details are not yet fleshed out. Uh, however, the inventor wants to go out and start talking to people, perhaps talk to um, software programmers to implement the code or talk to investors potentially to invest in, in the idea. And so we can quickly put together a provisional application on the broad concept and file the, patent, the provisional patent application. So hopefully within one year, the more details are filled in, um, then we can file the non-provisional patent application. That's interesting. So that's certainly something an inventor needs to consider is a provisional patent application mm -hmm. to safeguard themselves. Yes. So let's go back to what is patentable. So a lot of times Coke comes up as an example um, and you know, people wonder if their recipe, which is considered as one of the world's biggest trade secrets, is, is, is that patentable? How have they kept it secret for so long? Mm -hmm. So the Coca-Cola recipe is actually a good example for a trade secret. So a trade secret is something that if you are able to keep it under lock and key and limit access by people, you know, people will learn of it only on a need to, on a need basis, then you can perhaps maintain the secrecy of a trade secret and keep using, you know, maintain that way, maintain your ownership. But just imagine if somebody inadvertently learns of it, you know, then it's gone, right? Um, and also if something is easily reverse engineerable, so if I can go to the lab and easily, fairly easily, I don't want to say easily, but if I can fairly easily figure out what the formula is, then it's no longer a trade secret. And, you know, there's a lot of, for example, knockoff um, recipes out there. Absolutely. Right? So um, now... Why, so why do we want to patent something? Patent is actually an interesting concept. Um, the government gives you a 20-year monopoly, but in exchange, the inventor is required to disclose what the invention is in this document, what we call patent or patent application. And the inventor is required to provide how it works, uh, what are the components, um, what are the utility, the functions of the invention, and what problems does it solve, right? Most inventions are addressing some kind of issue, some solving a problem. So what can be patented? Originally, in the very beginning, there's a saying, and we say, um, everything made by man under the sun can be patented. But of course, through the years, patent law has been refined, and that's no longer true. Uh, Supreme Court, for example, called into question some aspects of um, business patent, business method patents, for example. But for the most part, something that has utility and is new or non-obvious can be patented as long as it's had, it solves a problem, it solves an issue that we you know to, we try to solve. That so that's a that's pretty broad, and so the, it's, it's in the it's in the best interest of an inventor to talk to a patent attorney and figure out if their idea is patentable, has the scope of being patented. So we talked a little bit about uh, global patents, and I just want to expand on that. A little bit more, you know, sometimes we get asked this question and um, it's sort of a Dungan type of question that if you live at the border of Texas and you can see Mexico from out of your window, 
Does that mean that your patent is good for the U.S. and Mexico, at least for the Americas? How, how does that work in the global market? So because these rights are granted by a government, so a patent, the, the borders is consistent with the borders of the United States, you know, all 50 states and the territories. Same with trademark. A trademark registration is only lives within the borders of a country. Um, but there are treaties in, exist in existence where some countries have gotten together to enter into a treaty where they will grant other members of the treaty uh, favorable status. So um, for example, and then there are regions where, for example, prime example is the Europe. Uh, in Europe, the European Union, there is something called a European um, patent application. However, you still will need to identify which countries in that union you want to kind of ratify your patent application when it receives a grant uh, or approved status. So um, you it, you know, because it's a government-granted right, you still very much deal with each country. If uh, a client comes to us and they have filed a U.S. application and they're interested in going to Mexico, for example, then we will need to engage a Mexican uh, patent attorney um, in Mexico to help us file a patent application there. There is something called a patent cooperation treaty which I believe has 30-something member countries. So if, if the client wants to pursue patent protection in more than one foreign country, for example, maybe Canada, Europe, and Mexico, then the best avenue may be to file what we call PCT application. And filing that will give us the right to go into multiple member countries and obtain patents in those countries. Got it. All right. That, so again, the need for consulting with Absolutely. a patent attorney would be the way to go if you're in that situation. This is not a DIY situation. This is certainly not a DIY <laughs> as much as we like to do DIY for many things. Well, baby, this has been such an exhilarating session and much appreciated by our students. Uh, whether they work for a large corporation in marketing or whether they are a startup or an entrepreneur. So we really, really do appreciate your time and uh, all the wisdom that you have shared with us. And, and we hope that you are able to come back to campus sometime soon and uh, talk to us a little bit more about this subject as time permits. So thank you again, Wei Wei. Thank you for having me. It has been wonderful to speak to you. Fantastic. Thanks.